Come on, good morning, church. How you feel today? Anybody feel good? Woo. Well, I think I'll preach now. Some good singing, isn't it? You know, there, there is a difference between singing and singing. Come on now. Oh, what, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord with you, uh, wherever you've come from, whoever you're sitting next to. I just believe that today is going to be a day where the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, show you some things, and, and I believe you're going to leave here challenged, changed, and with a better idea of this understanding of what it means to live a life of legacy, and I'm going to get there in just a moment. I want to look at the cameras in the back of the room. We do this every time we gather together because we are actually one church in two locations. So we've got our church family right here in the South Metro Atlanta area. Make some noise if that's you. Come on, everybody in the room. And then... We've got our Go Church family that is actually 700 miles away from here, just outside of the nation's capital. They're meeting in Germantown, Maryland. Germantown's about 25 miles just outside of Washington, D.C., and today they're meeting in a movie theater. There's a few hundred people that are, are joined there in live worship and a moment of response through what you just experienced to the singing of the song, and, and now we've come in live streaming, so we want to welcome our Go Church family. Come on, can you bless them? Let them know you love them. Then Go Church, let us hear from you too. Come on. I just love that. I love that we get to leverage technology. We also have an, uh, an ever-growing online community. So if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. Let us know where you're watching from. And we pray the same spirit of God that we feel in this room, you feel there. And then one thing we always do, and I, I think it's so appropriate, is we give honor to the, the wonderful military men and women that are serving, protecting our countries and freedoms. Come on. I want you to do this wholeheartedly. Come on. Yeah. We, we love and appreciate you and to all of the families that have military men and women, we pray for you as well. And one of the prayers we always pray is Psalm 91, a prayer of protection. So I'm just glad all of us are together. Uh, I want to give you one, one recap of an announcement, then I'm going to jump into the message. Uh, next Sunday, we're kicking off a brand new series. We're calling it Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And I, I want to I highlight just a couple of things with this because it's all important to know. Uh, number one... I've, I've asked you to do something I don't think I've ever asked before in all of my years of, of ministry, and that is I want you to do your very best by way of attending all five Sundays in the month of March. Now, I know that you, you may have some work plans, you may have some travel plans, but that's okay. You can, you can cancel all of that, and you can be here for five Sundays. And, and here's why I'm suggesting that I really believe that through this series, through these collections of conversations, God wants to do something in your home. God wants to do something in your house. And so I'm, 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 uh, for months, I've been praying over this word, I've been, been fasting over this message. So I want you to be here. The second thing is this. Um, we've created a website called 30dayfamily.com. That website is already live, so you can go there today. Don't, don't do that right now because I've got a message for you, but you can go to 30dayfamily.com. It just gives you a little bit more information about the series, and then at the very bottom of that website, there's some downloadable resources for you and your family. Um, I'll tell you more about that through each week, and some of those resources will be available at Next Steps beginning sun next Sunday when we kick off the series. But I wanted to create a landing page so that you could go and have some resources for your family. And then also, as you invite people, you have a place to, to point them to. As a matter of fact, we've done some Facebook advertising. One thing you can help us with is to share that video. So go to our Facebook page and uh, share that video. Uh, the way that the algorithms work, it just it's, it's, social media, Facebook's the easiest way to 
invite people. So share that, message it to a friend, link it to their homepage, text it, the link to them, send them the website. And then the last thing I'll tell you is this, you probably want to get here a little earlier each Sunday of March because this place is going to be packed. It's going to be packed. By faith, I'm believing that. We're going to make room for everybody, but it's going to be an incredible series. So five things that will keep your family together. We start next uh, Sunday. And then take this week and look through that website, 30dayfamily.com. Is that good? All right. We've been doing a series called Legacy. On the count of three, say this with me. One, two, three. Try it again with a little bit more excitement. One, two, three. I like that. So we've been doing this series on legacy, and we kicked this off two Sundays ago. Today we're going to come to the conclusion of it because next week we're launching this five things that will keep your family together series. But whether you've been a part of all three weeks or if this is your very first Sunday, don't worry. Because I'm going to give you right now kind of the driving thought behind the whole idea of legacy. So, so, so it's this. The ultimate goal is not to live here on earth forever. Let me pause right there and just remind you, if you missed last week, go listen. But, but you're not going to live forever anyway. You know, um, and, and I mean this in the most honest way. But unless Jesus comes back, we are all going to die. I talked about that last Sunday. There, there's no way that you get to avoid death even if you try to pay somebody to freeze your body. You're still going to die. And the point is, or the objective is, not to try to live here forever. Um, the point is, or the ultimate goal is, is to leave behind something that does. So with however much time you're given on this earth, and I don't know what the duration of time is for you and what you're allotted or graced with, but whatever time you're given... Are you willing to pass something down to the generations after you? What is your legacy? What is that thing or those things that, that will remain? That something that will go on and on and on. Again, it's your legacy. And remember, I'm going to recap just for a moment. But I've, I've been telling you over the course of the last couple of weeks that the value of your life, and somebody needs to hear this, the value of your life is never determined by how much money you make. The value of your life is never determined by what kind of car you drive, what subdivision you live in, what accomplishments you achieve, what promotions you get. I'm not telling you you shouldn't strive for some of those great things in your life, but those things, so I say things, those things are not what brings your life value. How you determine the value of your life is by what you leave behind. So, so when you breathe your last breath, what are you leaving behind for the generations that are to come? Do you see that? So, so here's the question, and this is what we've been tackling for a couple of weeks, because this is the truth. At some point, life is going to be over. You know, years ago, there used to be a popular little hashtag or phrase called YOLO. Anybody remember that? You only live once. Now, that's true about your earthly life. There is an eternal life, and where you spend eternity is up to you, and I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But when this life is over and, and you are no more, what will you have left behind? Listen to me. Lean in for a second. Every life is going to leave a legacy. But what type of legacy you leave is up to you. Everybody's leaving a legacy, whether, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And watch this, your friends and your family and, and your children and your children's children and your, your children's children's children, all, all of them after you, they will have left in their hands what you deposit on them. Do you see that? And they'll be left with your legacy. 
And, and write this thought down because this is critical because you need to see this. The legacy that you leave will become the legacy that others live. So, so what you leave behind when your life is over is what, what the next generation will pick up. They'll pick up that baton. They'll, they'll pick up that mantle. They'll pick up your legacy, and then, and then they'll leave and live that as well. Let, let me say it to you like this. Let's get to the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 22. I don't always use the message translation of Scripture, but sometimes I like to throw it in there. And I love how this is written in Proverbs 13. It says that a good life gets passed on to the grandchildren. Do you see that? That, that a good life get, gets passed down from, from one generation to the next. And, and if you were to continue this thought, a good life would get passed on to the grandkids and the great-grandkids and the great-great-grandkids. And last week we talked about this heart to be remembered forever. And I'll tell you what's happening in our culture. Can I be honest with you? What's happening in our society is that we have blurred the lines between the difference of making a living and leaving a legacy. It's almost as if we've gotten these two confused or even flip-flopped the priority or the importance of, of these ideas. And, and I, I mean this respectfully, but you need to hear it. Too many of us are overly consumed with just making a living. So, so let me get a good job to make good money so that not only I can pay the bills, but I can enjoy some of the luxuries of life. Let me work hard in my company to hopefully get a, hopefully get a promotion or one day maybe become the boss or the CEO or venture on and start my own organization or my own company. Let, let, let me make a, a living so that I can have a nice house and a nice car and, and wear some nice clothes. And again, I'm not telling you not to uh, you know, pursue some of those opportunities, but at the end of the day, most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and they're living their lives unfulfilled. And then on top of that, whenever you do come into money that you think you deserve or that you worked for, this is the truth as well. I know a lot of rich people that aren't happy either. Because making a living or making more money is not what gets you fulfilled. Come on, somebody say amen. As a matter of fact, learning the difference between making a living or leaving a legacy is the fundamental difference between the idea of are you creating a dynasty or are you creating a legacy? Do you see that? Because simply making a living that's a dynasty mindset, all about me, all about what I can possess, what I can achieve, what I can obtain, what, what I can save, what, what I can earn. That's not the goal of life. Let me tell you, if the goal of your life is just to make money and buy things, you will be miserable. But if the desire of your heart is to leave a legacy, to establish something that lasts far longer than you do because the difference is this, dynasty is very selfish. Legacy is very selfless. And here's what psychologists have done and scientists have done, uh, and they probably didn't, probably didn't even know that they were doing this, but they threw evidence on discovering how God created us because you know that we're created in the image of God. So psychologists and scientists, they got together and they discovered that the highest form of living the highest need that can be met in a person's life is not when somebody is making a living. It's not when somebody's making money. What scientists and psychologists have discovered, and it, and it backs up the word of God, is that the highest form of living is when you are making the difference in the lives of somebody else. 
when you make a decision to move from this, from this mindset of making money to this mindset of leaving a legacy, all of a sudden you recognize, watch this, that your life is not your own, that it's not about you. And, and watch this, and, and I've shared this with you before, but culture is, is pouring billions of dollars into making you think that this life is about you. It's, it's why you stand in line to get the new iPhone or the iPod or the iPad or the iNano or the I really want a new iWatch or whatever it is. I, 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 and God says, listen, I created you not so that this world would be around you. And I think for some of us, we think that this earth rotates on its axis for us. But what if we realize that God put us here on this earth to leave something behind, to invest into the generation after us, to leave a legacy because dynasty is always about me, but legacy is always about we. And I showed you this, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs last week. If you missed it, you got to go and watch it again because I went through each layer and the highest level that you can obtain in your life is the level of transcendent living, a place where you get to recognize that it's about compassion it's about care. It's about serving other people. It's about putting the needs of other people first. And last week I walked through this whole pyramid. And then when I got in my car, a good friend of mine who attends our church shot me a text. And he said, wouldn't it be overwhelming if we lived our life as if the pyramid were flipped upside down? That we started out in our journey, in our life, with this desire to achieve transcendent living, to put the needs of others before our very own. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you leave a legacy. You're not alive to make money. You make your money, okay? That's not why you're alive. You're alive to make a difference in the lives of others. That's why God created you. That's why you got this purpose and this call and this destiny. And God wants you to leave this legacy. You know, I worked really hard on this sermon, so you can give me an amen at any time, and that'll be encouraging. <laughs> All week long, I, I kind of wrestled with this word, and... Uh, on Friday, I really genuinely felt the Lord say, uh, that, don't preach that. So I told Cameron, I said, I'm going to run to the office and he just spent a few hours. And then yesterday I did the same thing. And I, I, re I wrestled this and the Lord gave me, uh, and I don't use this word lightly, but I really believe the Lord gave me a, a revelation for today to close out the series. We'll talk about legacy for the rest of our lives together. You'll hear more about legacy in the next few months and, 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 and years to come as we build out this desire to leave something behind us for the next generation. But, but I want to show you something that the Holy Spirit shared with me. Can I do that? Yes. Now, in order to do that, I need your permission to take the next few moments and just teach to you. So if any time that I get a little rambunctious, you just tell me to slow down, okay? But I, I'm going to try and break this down the way that the Lord showed it to me. And in order to do so about this idea of seeing the fundamental difference between making a living and leaving a legacy, you got to go to your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. If you've got, if you've got your Bible in hand, I want you to flip there. If, you, if you've got your smartphone and it's got the Bible app on it, you can pull it up. Just don't get on Facebook, okay? Because here's why. What I'm about to tell you can easily be, be misunderstood. Over the next few minutes, some of the things I'm going to share with you can be easily misunderstood. I believe that the Lord's given me a way to share it that we can all comprehend it, including myself. But if you're on your smartphone on Facebook and then you see me an email because you think I said something that I didn't say, that's called ADD. That ain't my fault. That's your fault, okay? <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to show you verses 6 and 7. But, but before I do that, I want to give you a little context. This is important to the discussion. 
The author of, of 1st and 2nd Timothy is a guy who is named Paul. Originally, he was named Saul, but uh, through this divine encounter with God, his, his name was changed to Paul. Now, the thing about the apostle Paul is Paul, Paul ran a wild life. I mean, this guy, he ran and lived a wild life. As a matter of fact, history tells us that Paul literally went from being a killer of Christians to a planter of churches. So Paul was a murderer. Paul was killing people that had professed their faith in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, God got a hold of Paul and radically, supernaturally changed the trajectory of his life on this experience known as the road to Damascus. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now let me pause and talk to our Go Church campus for a moment because Germantown, Maryland is about 10 and a half miles from Damascus, Maryland. Different Damascus. Come on, somebody. I think some of you can get in your car and go to Damascus, Maryland, thinking you can find salvation there. No, 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 no. You'll find salvation right where you are because Jesus is there. Come on, help me preach now. So Paul has this Damascus road experience. And Paul's salvation moment was supernatural. And in that moment, again, God changed the direction of Paul's life. And now Paul is used to literally preach the gospel everywhere. And that's what Paul does. Paul goes all over the globe. He goes all over, all over the world. He's, he becomes a, a world traveler. By the show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of Spirit Airlines? Spirit Airlines. Well, Paul was a frequent flyer of Holy Spirit Airlines. Come on, come on. It's a dad joke, and that's funny. Paul was all over. He was planting churches. He was going from town to town, city to city, zip code to zip code, and he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of this radical transformation and because of the hatred, you know, towards Christians that have said yes to Jesus, Paul was arrested. He was thrown in jail numerous times. And at one point, he even had the ankle bracelet on because he was on house arrest. I mean, they didn't, they didn't like him. And now watch this. Paul who used to kill Christians, is now planting churches as an evangelist and as a pastor. I don't know if this thought just hit me, but if God can use someone like Paul, God can use anybody. Paul goes on, and again, I'm teaching, so thank you for that opportunity. Paul goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. If I'm not mistaken, and somebody can, can fact check me on this, but many scholars believe that Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Some believe he wrote 14 if you consider him to be the writer of Hebrews, which, which I do personally. So this guy that was lost, dead in his sin, God changed his life, and now he's literally uh, reshaping the kingdom of God. It's just, it's incredible. And now here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul is writing his second letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. Now, Timothy was a pastor of the church in the city of Ephesus, but he was also Paul's spiritual son. So Paul had taken Timothy and he put him under his arm and, and watch this, don't miss this. Paul is investing in the Timothy because Timothy is his legacy. Do you see that? And so Paul is now, I'm gonna show, man, I feel the Lord. I'm gonna show you what the Lord showed me. Now, Paul is writing the second letter to his spiritual son. 
What's interesting about this second letter, and I don't want you to miss it, is that Paul is about to lose his life. Paul is in jail. He's in a Roman jail cell. He's chained to a Roman guard. They, they must have allowed him pen and paper. He's awaiting trial. And not long after what you're about to read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul, because of his faith, is decapitated. They beheaded him. Now, if you just thought, well, I wish you wouldn't have said that I have my kids in here. This is why we have kids' church. Thank you. Free plug. Be because of his faith, they, they take his life. He's a martyr. And, and, and look, are you ready to see it? You want to see it? Okay, a couple more things. Watch this. They say that you can tell what the heart of a man is by the last words he ever says. So the last few words of Jesus were what? He told his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's Timothy literally awaiting this trial to be beheaded for his faith. He's writing a letter to his spiritual son, and these are some of the last few words that he says. And in 2 Timothy, it's four chapters long. You can read this today in about 10, 12, 15 minutes. All, could you, what, what would you say in your letter? If it was the last letter you would ever write to your friends or family, what would you say? Now Paul, with pen in hand, with paper in front of him, he writes to Timothy. And these are the things that are, are pounding on the, 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 the heart of his chest. He talks about important leadership gifts. He writes about how we're going to face difficult times. How many of you know that's true? He tells Timothy about be careful of the current cultural trends and how all of that shifts. He says, listen, if, you, if you're going to continue to be in ministry, there's going to be a lot of opposition that, that you're going to have to face. And so he's writing all of these things. But then he talks about his legacy. Please, please don't miss this. I, I, I love to preach as much as anybody, but this is so profound. Because these are the last words of the great apostle Paul and what he thinks about legacy. Watch this. He says this. The time of my departure has come. I'm leaving this world. My days have been numbered and my number's been called. And then he says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I, I have finished the race. And I have kept the fate. Man, when I read this, this past week, it stirred something deep on the inside of me because, and you got to notice this, Paul, who was quite accomplished, might I add, in his last words before they took his life, he didn't ever talk about the education he received. He didn't talk about how in that time he had a master's degree and a doctorate degree. He didn't talk about the places all around the world he traveled. He didn't talk about his experience in Spain. He didn't talk about the letters that he had written to the churches. He never told one story right here in these verses about the thousands of people that he would preach to and their transformation. He never talked about the dozens of churches that he planted. Watch this. Listen to me. He wanted his legacy to be about one word. One word. Let me summarize it. Faithful. He says, when it's all said and done, I want you to know about me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Let me, let me say this to you. 
I'm giving you the material to preach at my sermon, my funeral, the sermon to preach at my funeral. It's right here. If J.C. Worley ever does anything well, may I fight the good fight. <laughs> may, may I finish this race. Can I tell you something? Everybody look at me for just a second. There's a lot of incredible men and women that went into ministry and they did not finish the race. A lot of believers that start out on fire for God and then life happens and you don't finish the race. And you know what I want to do? I want to keep the faith. Like I, I want to wake up every day with this renewed faith. And, and Paul pondered the end of his life, and he gives us these three profound statements about his legacy. He says, I want to fight the good fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. And, and the Lord gave me this thought uh, last night. In order to be a legacy lever, you must first be a legacy liver. Now, some of your English teachers, I don't know if this is proper English or grammar, but just, just in, in, endure it. Because if you want to leave a legacy, then you must live the legacy that you want to leave. Watch this. On your 90th birthday, if God grace us, graces us with that many years, we can't then decide, well, let me go back and live the legacy I want to leave. You know when it starts? Now, today, right now. And if you want to be a legacy lever, then you first must be a legacy liver. And watch this, legacy livers who become legacy leavers, they always do three things. They fight the good fight. They finish the race. And they keep the faith. Again, I think these are some of the greatest statements concerning this idea of legacy that you'll ever hear. I know that that probably may not come across as incredibly profound or uh, emotionally tugging on the strings of your heart, but I pray that that, that word was a seed deposited in, in your spirit, that if you want to be a legacy lever, then you must fight the good fight. You must finish the race, and you must keep the faith. If you want to leave a legacy that's greater than you, if you want to leave a legacy that will impact the generation after you, if you want to live your life to leave something that will be great. If you want to move from just making a living or making money to leaving a legacy, all you need is wrapped up in these three statements. Uh, this conclusion of this collection of conversations is summarized into the next steps, the action steps. And here it is. You want to leave this legacy? Come on. This is what you do. You fight the good fight. You finish the race. You keep the faith. So let, let me do this. I want to break these three thoughts down. So take some notes. The first one is this. Legacy livers who become legacy leavers, they fight the good fight. You know, I was processing what the Apostle Paul might have been implying here. And some of what I felt like he could be saying, and, and obviously I don't, I don't know the in, entirety of, of that thought, but some of what I believe he might be suggesting is, is that everyone is fighting something. Or everybody's fighting someone, which is why we're doing five things to keep your family together. So, so we're, we're, all, we're all in this fight. Some of us are fighting coworkers. Some of us are fighting neighbors. Some of us are, are fighting sickness. Some of us are, are fighting. You, you fill in the blank. So, so what I think Paul was suggesting to us on his deathbed is, listen, you're all going to fight something. Paul just says, I want to make sure that you're fighting the fight that matters. 
Because here's the truth. If we're not careful, you and I, we get caught up in fighting things that really don't matter. We get caught up in fighting the wrong fight at the wrong time, and it overwhelms us and it exhausts us. Your Bible says it like this in Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but our fight is against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. So let me suggest to you, husband, wife, son, daughter, neighbor, coworker, just take a deep breath, redirect your passion because you're fighting the wrong fight. Watch this. As Christians, so I have to talk to the Christians for a moment. Those that have said yes to Jesus, that are in a right relationship with Jesus, as Christians, we face a never-ending struggle against evil. Let's be honest. Is it really, come on, is it really surprising to see our world in the mess that it's in? Not if you've read this. Because this world is evil. There's hatred, there's racism, there's murder. There's people that, and it blows my mind that people would steal something from someone that's not even theirs. Why? Because we have this entitlement issue. I mean, there, there is, there's stuff, is it, do you even watch the news? If you do, stop. Just stop. And Paul says, listen, you're in this fight, but it's the wrong fight. It's not, it's not the good fight. That's why you need to hear this if you're a Christian. And I've got to hurry because I've got two other points to get to. But if you're a Christian, that's why everything that you do must go back to the cross. Let me say it like this. If you want to fight the good fight, then that means everything you do goes back to the cross. Everything you do goes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that's why this will always be a church that preaches the cross. This will always be a church that preaches the gospel. This will always be a church, here, here's a phrase, that preaches the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Here, here's why. Let, let me explain like this. Because you can, if you want to fight the good fight, You cannot engage in social justice without spiritual justice. Because social justice without spiritual justice is not justice. Let that sink in. If you want to fight the good fight, then fight social justice with spiritual justice and point those who are lost back to Jesus. All right. You you didn't clap loud enough, so let me give you another example. This is why whenever, as Christians, we feed the homeless, okay, and you know that's our responsibility, right? Okay, so whenever we as Christians feed the homeless, that's why we tell them, listen, now man shall not live by bread alone. Here's why. Because if you feed homeless people and never tell them about Jesus, even hungry bellies can still go to hell. So you're you're fighting the fight of, of homelessness and hunger, but you're not telling them about Jesus, you're not helping them. It's why whenever we partner with nonprofits that are rescuing women from human sex trafficking, we make sure that that organization is expressing the love of Jesus because how terrible would it be to rescue these women from their earthly hell but not save them from their eternal one? Because when you fight the good fight, it goes back to the cross. This is why I'm done, I am done. D-O-N-E, I'm like a well-done steak with American politics. Done. I'm done. 
What do you think about building the wall? What, what do you think about blah blah blah? I don't know why I sound like I'm from Sonora. I apologize. <laughs> what do you think about old Trump? You know what I think? I think all of them need Jesus. Every last one of them. And you know what, you know what else I know? I, I, you will, let me make a statement, and I try not to speak in absolutes, but I feel anointed. You will never hear me preach on American politics. Hold your applause. You will hear me preach on kingdom politics. Big difference. Huge difference. Because everything we do as Christians, if you want to fight the good fight, you want to leave your legacy, it all goes back to Jesus. Come on, somebody give me an amen right there. So every day when we wake up as believers and we have this idea that we want to leave this legacy, then we've got to put on the full armor of God so that we can fight the good fight. And by the way, and I don't know who you are, but you need to know something. As a Christian, you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus was crucified on the cross and they buried him in the borrowed tomb, he went and defeated Satan and he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And the end of the Bible says that you and I as believers, we win. Come on now. We're victorious. So let me mess with your theology for just a little bit. God does not need you to defeat the devil today. He already did it. What God needs is for you to fight the good fight. Don't defeat the devil, resist the devil. I'm preaching now, come on. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you because Jesus has already been victorious over the enemy. So our part, I'm trying to help you and I hope that I'm helping. Our part is just to enforce the victory by simply standing our ground. Look at me, come on, online too, go church too. Watch this. Christians, we must stand our ground. This is how we fight the good fight. Come on, is that good or what? Yeah. Let me show you the second one. I gotta, I gotta hurry. So legacy livers who become legacy leavers, not only do they fight the good fight, they know what fight they're in and they know who they're fighting against, but they also finish the race. Finish the race. I wanna I want show you something that, that Paul said to Timothy and you read it a moment ago, but I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you the next verse. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, these were the two verses that you and I read a moment ago. The time of my departure has come. Paul to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Watch verse number 8. Ah, oh, it's so powerful. Now, now, so my, my, life is, my life's over. The end has come. I, I, I will be no more. And he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Okay, I, I need a few minutes. Can you give it to me? Okay. And my father-in-law taught me this. Do you know what it means when I look at my watch? Nothing. Just to make you think I care. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Oh, I love you guys. I know, I know, I know. Here we go. In order to fully understand this, that there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul is saying about his life when it's over. I got to introduce you to the concept that you find in your Bible called the judgment seat of Christ. 
I want you to see this. In order to fully understand the judgment seat of Christ, you have to go back to another letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Man, the, the Lord is just, man, I'm just so thankful. I hope I can share this the way that, that I heard it and the way that uh, I, I want to teach it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul, again, he says this, for we must all, somebody say all. We must all befear the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this word all is a little confusing because that doesn't mean everybody. You would think it would, but Paul is actually talking to believers. He's, talk, he's talking to Christians. So he's not talking about every person that has ever lived. Paul is only talking to those who are in right standing with God. They're in right relationship with God. Those are the ones that will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why are they the only ones that will appear before the judgment seat of Christ? I'm so glad you asked. Here's why. Because there are actually two judgments. I'm about, I'm about to show you something that many of you have probably never even heard before. And I, want, I don't want you to miss it, but you need to hear it. There are two judgments. And this is going to mess some of you up, but I, I, want, I want to share it with you. There is a heaven and a hell judgment. I don't care what any, what any church tells you, what any pastor tells you, what any evangelist tells you, what pop culture says to you, what, what people will try to manipulate our minds with. The Bible says that there is a place called heaven and there is a place called hell. Where you spend that eternity is rightly decided by you. You get to determine that. So this heaven and this hell judgment is called the great white throne judgment. If you're with me, say, I'm there. I'm slowing down because I don't want to mess it up. At the great white throne judgment, individuals will stand before God. And at that point, it's very simple. It's simple. Why is it so simple? Because your life is over. It's done. At that point, there is no second chance. At that point, there is no grace and there is no mercy because you had your entire life to decide how you were going to live that life. So now at the great white throne judgment, it's simple. Watch this. There will be a book and the book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And at that great white judgment, all that will happen is they will go through the book and they will look for your name. And if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, hell is your eternity. That's it. So if the life you lived led you to the point of standing before God on your day of judgment and you did not confess your sin while you were alive, your name will not be in this book. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what Tom Cruise says. I don't care what the Church of Scientology says. You get one life. Some of y'all are like, why'd you throw Oprah in this? Because she needs to know. <laughs> now, how do you get your name in that book? Man, you guys are asking the perfect questions. It's unbelievable. You do not get your name in this book by being religious. So look, look at me for a moment. I love you, but I have to tell you, you, you can get rid of that religious, that phony religious thing that you do. You can get rid of that because that ain't working. Not only does it not fool me, but even if you do, you will not fool him. So, so you, you can, I don't know who I'm talking to, but you can tote the biggest Bible you got. 
But if you're not in right step, you can wear the rosary. You can pray the prayer. You can come to the altars. You can participate in every event that this church has. But if your heart's not right before the Lord, listen to me. You don't, you don't get your name in this book. You don't get your name in this book by church attendance. I don't care if you come 52 Sundays out of 52 Sundays. It's about the condition of your heart, not the attendance sheet that you think we keep or that God keeps. Watch this. You don't get in the Lamb's book of life by doing good stuff. Good people go to hell. Well, well then I hear, well, how can a God who loves us let us go to hell? He paid the price. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Don't blame that on God. You can't, you can't blame that on God. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God wants you to go to heaven. The Bible says it's not the, it's not the will of the Father that anyone should perish. We, we put a lot on God, don't we? Here's why. Because we don't want to be accountable for our actions. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. You don't get your name in this book of life by volunteering at nonprofits and, you know, ministries within the church. And, and here's why. I, I got to, will you do me a favor? Can you sit tight for a few minutes? Okay, watch this. Here's why. Because you cannot work your way into heaven. You can't pay your way into heaven. You can't purchase your way into heaven because Jesus paid it all. Do you see that? The only way to get your name in this Lamb's book of life on that, that great white throne judgment is by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it. By saying yes to God and no to the world by confessing your sin, admitting that we're not perfect. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. It's this letter. And in this letter, he talks about salvation like this. He says, we are saved by grace through faith or by faith through grace, not, not by works. You see that? So there is this judgment. And at this judgment, we are going to be judged according to the life that we lived. And if we said yes to Jesus, then we'll hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful. Now, if you don't pass that judgment, there is no other judgment. That's it. It's over. Hmm. Stop playing games, man. Come on. Stand before God and he says depart from me you worker of iniquity for I never even knew you So you don't pass the first judgment, there's no second judgment. Do you get that? 
But if you hear your name called, oh God, please, please call my name. When you hear your name called, he'll say, okay, well done. And then you get to experience the second judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. This is what Paul was talking about. Keep reading. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And watch how the verse continues. So that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Watch this. So if you pass that judgment and your name is called, now there is the judgment seat of Christ. And it's here, listen to me, that your heavenly father wants to give rewards to his children. This is what Paul was saying. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. So I'm going to get my crown. Isn't that what he said? He said, I'm going to get my crown of righteousness for the things that I did while I was alive. So there's the second judgment. Paul's talking about this when he says, I finished my race. Now, there are some people in this room and maybe online and at Go Church, you're going to oppose what I'm saying. Because along the way, we have been taught that when we get to heaven, if we make it through that, you know, great white judgment and we're, we're in heaven, that we're just going to lay at the feet of Jesus for eternity and just cry, unworthy, unworthy, I'm unworthy, oh, so unworthy. And if you believe that, that's good because that's the right heart because we are. The Bible says that the wages of your sin is death. Death is what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. But watch this. Your Bible does not say that you'll spend eternity singing the, the, the song unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. Your Bible says that when you pass that first judgment, that God is a rewarder, that he wants to bless and he wants to give you the treasure you stored up in heaven while you lived this life on this earth. Okay, you, you may or may not believe me, so I'm just gonna give you Bible. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will what? He's going to reward each person according to what he's done. Watch the next one. It's Romans 14, verses 10 and 12. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. There it is. Okay? So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Do you see that? Still don't believe me? Look at all of the Bible. 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible ends in Revelation 22. And the whole theme of the New Testament is summarized in Revelation 22, verse number 12. He says, and behold, I am coming quickly, and I'm so excited to get my children that I'm bringing the reward with me. That I, I'm going to bring it with me because I cannot wait to bless my children for the life they live. He said, because you have been faithful, now I'm going to preach. Because you have fought the good fight. Because you have finished the race. Because you have kept the faith. Here are some rewards, my son. Here are some rewards, my child. Here are the crowns of righteousness. Ooh, give me my crown when I get to heaven, Jesus. Give me my mansion in heaven and put a bulldog flag waving on the front yard. Come on, Jesus. That's probably the only way they'll get a national championship. I got to move. Give me a few minutes here. Because here's what I feel in my spirit. You ready? Look at me. 
Some of you are saying, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that somebody's going to get some rewards more than me. It's not fair. You know, society has really messed our minds up with fairness, hasn't it? Because now your children, although they're precious, every child gets a participation trophy just for participating. And some of you are like, yeah, it should be that way. Well, that's not life. So what happens when they don't get the job they applied for because the other candidate had more qualifications? Should we give them a job too? Just because it's your child? No, they'll be unemployed. That's life. So we've skewed this idea of fairness. Plus, I don't think that when we get to heaven, we'll have this concern about what's fair and what's not fair because that's a perfect place. There is no sin. There, there, are you hearing me? There is no comparison. There, there, there is no, well, you had and it's, it's not fair. No. In heaven, we'll be in a glorified body, which means we ought to have grown up by then. Okay. Let me explain it like this. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had one of our kids workers here at South Metro. And our kids pastor told us that this, this lady who was teaching this class um, always had the best supplies and crafts and arts in her room. Now, what surprised me about that was is that we, we have a budget in each environment in kids ministry and youth ministry. They get a budget to create that room according to the budget that's allowed. Does that make sense? So how is she getting more stuff for her room that's not budgeted for? So we called her. Can you come in? She sat down. You're not in the principal's office. But how is it that your room always has the greatest snacks, the greatest crafts, the greatest stuff? And she began to weep. She said, when I was a child and she gave us her testimony, I'm not privileged to tell you the extent of the testimony, but things that happened in her childhood. Seven or eight months ago, she got radically saved and baptized right here at our South Metro Atlanta campus. She said, the Lord told me to work with children and I made it a commitment that I don't ever want any of those kids in my class to experience the pain that I felt in my life. So she said this, she said, so I buy my own supplies. I, I go to the store and I get whatever else extra is needed in order to make that class the best class that it can be. Okay, hold on. Don't clap just yet. I'm going to give you a reason to clap. That's a good reason, but there's another one. Now, immediately I got up out of my seat in my office. My wife was in there and Ben Warwick, our campus pastor, was in there. And I ran to the office of our CFO. And I won't tell you the amount, but I said, write her a check and make it count. Make it count. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I went back in and I said, you didn't ask for it, but I want to bless your family. Now watch, I'm going I'm to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who in this room is upset at me for blessing that woman who blessed those children? And that is how heaven will be. Come on, somebody. Ah, oh, Jesus. Legacy livers who become legacy leavers fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. They keep the faith. They keep the faith. Do you see that? I want to show you this. 
Hebrews 11 verse one, it's not in the screen or uh, even really at a place for you to watch, but I want you to write that thought down. The Bible says that now faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Some, some of you have lost your faith along the way. Some of you have lost your hope along the way. It's really why I wanted to do a series on legacy because I wanted to stir up some faith. John 14, 12 says it like this. I tell you the truth, anyone that has, come on, faith in me will do what I have been doing and he will also do even greater things, greater things. Now, let me take a moment and then I'm gonna tell you how to keep the faith and we'll be done. The first thing I wanna say is this. I, I speak over this room, over our Go Church campus, through the authority given to me by the word of God and the name that is above all names, which is the name of Jesus Christ, that we're walking into a season of greater things. Watch, greater things for your marriage, greater things for your children, greater things for your job, greater things for your health, greater things for your finances, greater things for your legacy, greater things for this church. I, I'm, I'm believing for greater things. Anybody with me? Do you receive that? Come on greater things that we will do even greater things so so how how do we keep the faith to experience greater things three quick thoughts we keep the faith by staying in God's presence how do you fight how how, how, do, how do you stay in this in order to keep the faith let me get my thoughts together here for you because I don't I don't want you to miss this and what the Lord gave it to me. God's presence is where faith is birthed. And in God's presence is where faith is stirred. So if you want to be a legacy lever, then, then you've got to stay in God's presence. Because when the devil loves to work in isolation, but when you get in God's presence, there's something that happens. Isn't there an energy in this room on Sunday that you feel? It's magnetic, isn't it? It's electric. As a matter of fact, and my time is up, but watch this. Nobody's saying anything. Joseph, just play. Just play. Watch this. Come on. Just, I want you to play, man. You're anointed. Come on, do you not feel Jesus? Would you bless Joseph? Isn't that good? Okay. Now, let me show you your Monday. You ready? Stop. That's Monday, ain't it? Let me show you Tuesday. It's awkward, isn't it? But watch this. you got to stay in God's presence. you got to figure out a way to get in the presence of God without Joseph following you around with a keyboard to help you get into it. It's the only way. You can play because it does help us feel Jesus. Watch this. You keep the faith by staying in the presence of God. Listen to me. Would you, would you do yourself a favor and read your Bible? You don't read it for me. Don't read it to get into heaven because you. there are people that know that Bible from cover to cover. But read it because that's how we stay in the presence of God. It's why we say get in a small group. Come to church. I, I don't mean this negatively. I'm already in trouble with some things I've said today, I can tell. But I shouldn't have to ask, can you come to church five weeks in a row? Oh, please come to church five weeks in a row. Get to church. Be the church. Oh, please, please. It's between you and God. But you got to stay in God's presence. Here's the, st the second way you keep the faith, uh, by moving beyond inspiration to participation. I hear people say Sunday after Sunday, wow, 
so inspired. Oh, what a message. And I think, well, where are you serving? Who are you helping? Where are you using your gifts and talents? Oh, what a word. Was it? Because faith without works is dead. At some point, you got to move beyond just getting inspired to participating in what God is doing. This is transcendent living. Do you see that? Helping others and using the gifts God has given you to be a blessing. And then here's the last one. You want to keep the faith, you got to share faith stories. Share your faith stories. I can do this fast. I want to show you this story really quickly of Moses' grandparents. Grandchildren, rather. Watch this. Moses' grandchildren, grandchildren. Judges, and then I'm done. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, so Moses was charged to lead the people out of Egypt. They were in bondage, the children of Israel. They were in bondage to the evil ruler Pharaoh. After he passes, God commands Joshua to lead them into the promised land. You with me? So after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. They served the Lord through his lifetime. And they also served the Lord of the elders as the elders outlived Joshua and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Watch verse 8. Joshua, the son of Nun, he was a servant of the Lord. He died at the age of 110. That's a healthy life, wouldn't you say? Verse number 9. Then they buried him in the land of his inheritance. And this is the verse, verse number 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Watch what happens. Another generation grew up and knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for the people of Israel. What? What you're seeing in Judges, two generations before this, God parts the Red Sea so that they can flee captivity. One generation before this, God parts the Jordan water so that they can walk into the promised land. And now this generation, they don't know, they don't know the Lord. They don't know the story of, of manna being dropped down from heaven to provide for them on this journey to the promised land. They don't know about the pillar of fire, the cloud that followed them by day. They don't know about the Red Sea experience or the Jordan experience. They don't know about the walls of Jericho coming down. They don't know about the plagues that hit Egypt to begin the process of getting them out of captivity. How, let me ask you, how is that possible? Here it is, lean in, watch. Because parents and grandparents didn't tell the faith stories. Everyone over the age of 40, over 40, over 40, close your eyes. Come on, if you're over 40, real quick. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds. I want you to think of everything you can think of in 30 seconds that God has done for you. The good things God has done in 30 seconds, come on. What are some of the good things that God has done when you didn't have money to pay the bills and God showed up? When you were sick and the doctor gave you no hope and God showed up? When the marriage was falling apart and they said it was gonna end in divorce and God showed up, okay? Everybody got something? Okay, now look at me. Why would you not tell those younger than you those stories? Why? why? Why would you keep those private? Those of us under the age of 40, we need to hear those stories to remember the Lord's faithfulness. Do you see that? You share your faith stories. Here's the question right here. The greatest legacy you can leave 
are the faith stories that you tell. And here's the question, what type of legacy will you leave? I'm going to give you one minute. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Uh, Pastor David at Go Church, they're coming to the platform there with the band. The band is moving here too. I want you to take a minute. We do this each week. What's the Holy Spirit saying about the type of legacy you'll leave? Will it be said of you that you fought the good fight, you finished the race, and you kept the faith? Is that what will be read in your obituary? Is that the sermon preached by the pastor at your funeral? Is that the legacy that your children will talk about you and your children's children? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. 30 seconds, just you and the Lord. Come on. Don't miss this moment. And here's why I do this, because when you leave, life life just seems to distract us. So, so take 30 seconds here. What, what kind of legacy do you want to leave?